This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. AI, quantum computing, and processor wars. The HPC Year in Review. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and joining me one more time in 2017, that's Michael Feldman, the editor of Top500.org. Michael, it's been quite a year. It has. It's been a very interesting year. It's gone fast, but there's been a lot of interesting news and a lot of a lot of new trends this year that, that have sort of developed, that have been building maybe for a few years and sort of came to fruition this year. Yeah. You know, these are things that really we saw coming. We predicted sure. that AI was going to be a big deal this year, that the processor wars were going to kick in. Quantum, I will admit, did a little more than I thought it was going to do. But let's review these because these really were some of the top stories, starting with the whole world of AI, including deep learning, machine learning. That really got to a point where it dominated the conversation in HPC this year. Yeah, and, and I think it dominated it on a couple different levels. One from the vendor side, where a, a lot of the vendors sort of started coalescing their strategies. The HPC vendors coalesced their strategies around how they were going to serve this market. But also from the user side of HPC, a lot of um, a lot of the researchers and and even industrial uh, people started looking at AI as a tool or as part of the workflow they could put into their own applications. And there was a lot of news around that as well this year. So there was demand and supply side news throughout this year. Yeah, and it's the demand side story that really intrigues me the most as an analyst in terms of how we're sizing and scoping this opportunity going forward. We do have some surveys in the field right now. and We've been developing our market models around deep learning which to date has mostly been part of the hyperscale market in terms of the companies actually spending money on dedicated infrastructure for it. That'll be your Googles, your Facebooks, your Amazons, your Baidus, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of actual AI work going on in those places. But now in, in 2017, a lot of HPC users are saying, yes, they are starting their AI or deep learning or machine learning programs. And what we're measuring is for for that population of the market, how much of that is an incremental investment? How much are they buying something new? How much are they just mixing it in with their existing HPC infrastructures? That'll really help us size that opportunity going forward as part of the HPC market. Now, to be clear, deep learning is is here. It's a real thing. It's growing. It's near doubling this year from last year, it'll probably double again in 2018 over 2017. It's not going to keep doubling ad infinitum for 50 years or even for five years. It, it can't keep up that pace. And we're going to start getting a, a sense of where's that asymptote? Uh, you know, what's the real true market size? Yeah, I, I, I can certainly believe that. But 2017 certainly was one of those sort of breakthrough years. I mean, we talked about uh, a couple times during the year, I mean, Google had uh, the, its TPU deployment, their tensor processing units. They started uh, outfitting uh, a lot of their infrastructure with their own homegrown uh, AI processors, and they made uh, quite a big splash, and they sort of, uh, uh, I think, put a little bit of scare into some of the commodity uh, people doing this with NVIDIA and AM, um, AMD to a certain extent and Intel. 
um, when people start building their own custom processors in a company like Google, especially, it sort of changes the, the thinking around how this is going to go forward. And then you had Microsoft with their big FPGA deployment on their Azure cloud as well. And they basically have now an FPGA on every server instance out there. Uh, again, uh, sort of a disruptive paradigm for how AI might go forward. And again, this is a very uh, large deployment on a, on you know, maybe the, the second or third biggest cloud infrastructure in the world. And, and it's going to affect things probably going forward for the next, for the next few years. Yeah, that's the truly amazing thing when we look at these supply side dynamics is that despite how fast deep learning really is growing, that with the amount of the vendors really pivoting their product lines toward it, if anything, deep learning might be an overserved market where it seems like every new product coming out is almost exclusively targeting deep learning. Everyone's so desperate to be the first ones riding into town on their horses. And, you know, for some companies like Google with their tensor processor unit or with NVIDIA with the really rapid market expansion of GPUs. This is appropriate because of how much real new business they can get out of it. But for a system vendor, a storage vendor, yeah, there's an opportunity there and it should be part of the messaging. But the way AI really took over everything this year, right? Remember where big data was five years ago and big data was all everybody could talk about. And then this year, it's not even mentioned anywhere hardly because everyone's so <laughs> busy talking about AI. Like, what happened to big data? Did we forget about it? So, you know, some of it is going to pass through and feel like it was a fad, although it, there is a real market there. I just think some of the supply side messaging has been overcooked. Yeah, and I think the supply is going to be overcooked as well. I mean, you have – it's not just Google and Microsoft and NVIDIA uh, building these uh, – building these processors and infrastructure for, for AI. I mean, you've got Fujitsu developing its own deep learning unit process. You've got GraphCore, you've got wave computing. Uh, of course, Intel's developing still Knights Mill, Lakescrest, Knightscrest. We'll, we'll see how that goes forward. But we've got a lot of, you know, we've got half a dozen major companies doing it, maybe a half a dozen minor companies as well, sort of competing in the same space. And some of these are going to fall out. There's not going to be you know, 12 different AI processors, I don't think, going forward. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of activity here, and there's going to be a lot of casualties along the way, I think. And here's the really amazing thing that comes out of all of this is if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year, what's the number one pain point for users, I would have said that it's trying to balance on the one hand a diversification of workloads with traditional HPC analytics and now AI against a diversifying set of architectures with all the different processors coming to the market. And where we are now at the end of 2018 is not only that the same problem, it's gotten worse. Right. Because yeah, yeah. We, we see more diversification in architecture. We see more diversification of workloads and no one really stepping up to help address that problem to help end users uh, make some sense out of which architectures are going to be most applicable to which parts of these workloads and how many of those architectures do they need to service, which really brings us into the second major story for 2017, which is the blossoming processor diversity that's out there. Right. And we saw developments throughout the year. I mean, just starting on sort of the, the vanilla side of it. I mean, you've got the Intel 
announced its scalable processor, but right at the same time, AMD came back with its uh, its Epic CPUs that are now going against those processors for the first time in many years. AMD has a critical uh, a credible competitor to to Intel and Xeon. Um, so that dynamic started uh, toward, towards the middle of the year. And then, of course, you've got all the other usual suspects. You've got Intel again with the Xeon 5 processors. You've got NVIDIA and AMD with their GPUs. AMD actually had a new uh, set of GPUs for at least the machine learning side of that. Uh, you got I, IBM towards the end of the year. We talked about the Power 9 processors they launched. Uh, Cavium basically did a sort of a relaunch of the Thunder X2 ARM processors, which were picked up by, you know, a, a handful of OEMs in HPC that are now going to start producing servers with those processors. Um, and then we talked about, you know, the PESI SC2 accelerator uh, that came on strong at the end of the year with uh, a lot of new entries on the top 500 and green 500 list. So there was a lot of activity there. Tons of activity. And, and what really is amazing is how many of those were major new launches this year. And Intel themselves had three different launches with Xeon and Xeon Phi and the, and the Nirvana chips up on top. Uh, I think if there's a big surprise for me, uh, it's, it's the extent to which AMD and ARM architectures both had really good years. AMD, I'll go ahead and admit, I had started to write off going a few years ago. And in fact, I, I can hardly deny it because I was on podcasts where I said it. You can go back and find it. And that was largely because I thought some of the competition was too far out in front. But the way this has continued to diversify where no one really has a lock on any part of the market. The door is still open for AMD to uh, make uh, make a move with that strong Epic launch. They remind me of a of a of a of a team late in a football season that could only make the playoffs not only if they keep winning, but if they get help from other teams around them. And now they're getting the help they need, and and here they are still in the mix. And meanwhile. Arm, I, I, you know, I didn't think that uh, the enthusiasm would keep up to the same extent, and it's really getting to where we're getting a more complete software ecosystem around Arm, to where this is now a very credible supercomputing architecture uh, as we look ahead to Exascale. Now, Intel has been kind of a mixed bag. They had a very strong Xeon launch with their uh, with their uh, scale Xeon scalable platform. But the Xeon Phi took a hit with the cancellation of the, the Knights Hill platform. So it's kind of a, a wide open game right now for you know, almost everybody except Pezzi, which we just did a podcast on their <laughs> list where they're, they've, they're now potentially out of their running uh, just, just due to the, the legal problems they've had at the top. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of interesting stories around this. And yeah, you sort of get the sense that the that the pecking order might be changing as as these things happen. I mean, like you said, in, Intel had sort of a, a a questionable canceling of its of its Xeon Phi, its next generation Xeon Phi, and plus now it's got some some real competition with AMD. Nvidia had a very strong year. I mean, as it's as it's had for the past five years, basically with its Voltas. But there's some renewed competition again from AMD, and then from the you know specialized. Uh, processors that we just talked about in the in the AI side of it. And then of course IBM had its Power 9 processor launched this year. I mean something I mean they launch Power 9 power processors, you know, once every what uh, four or five years and it 
just happened to be come in a year where everything else was changing. So you sort of get the sense that that things might be changing and and you know sort of the 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 dominance we've seen of of one vendor Intel might not might not last for the next uh, in the in the next coming two three years. Well, it's only in the last ten years that Intel has been the dominant processor provider for the HPC market. For the few years before that, it was actually AMD outshipping right. Intel for a couple of generations. Uh, then Intel was before that, but that was only for a short time uh, after uh, it was the RISC processors for, for an entire era prior to that. So, you know, there's certainly the potential for change. The big thing I want to watch next year as these processor wars continue to play out is in the middleware, the software, the what's the ecosystem? How do I scale these effectively for real world applications? That's what I really want to look for uh, a lot of development around. Yeah, I think people are going to take a page out of the NVIDIA book and, and do it like they developed their ecosystem around their their CUDA GPUs and their CUDA environment there. I think people saw that as a, as a very successful strategy, and I think it's being reproduced in various ways for these, uh, these emerging uh, processor platforms. It was a very successful strategy, but it was also a long play. Not every company has that kind of patience. The CUDA has been a success story that's 10, now 11 years in the making since we start, yep. first saw that coming on. And, uh, and they've made a lot of progress, but it's still not to the point where CUDA is, is dominant in, in uh, the entire HPC world. So uh, for as successful as that's been, it's a very long play. It's hard for other people to duplicate uh, certainly suddenly duplicate what NVIDIA has been working on with CUDA for a long time. Now, talk about new stories coming onto the market. This isn't even, I mean, it's a new processor. It's an entire new paradigm on top of everything else. Now we're starting to look at very real quantum computers. Yeah, I mean, this is now there's there's no real universal quantum computers yet, but we saw so much activity this year uh, that's leading up to this and towards, especially towards the end of this year. And we saw a lot of players emerging. Of course, IBM and Google have been working on this for a while and they both came up with, you know, fairly high qubit of, of fairly high quality qubit uh, processors. Um, IBM has a 20 qubit processor available right now in its, in its Q platform. Um, Google had something similar and is promising has is promising a 49 qubit device before the end of the year. So that's just two weeks away at this point. So we'll see if that happens. And then Intel just a, a, a few weeks ago revealed it has a 17 qubit package. Uh, and that was back in October and something that was its first basically prototype system that it, that it had been working on for a few years. And then Microsoft, uh, talked about its topological qubits uh, quite a bit this year. And it just put out a, a um a toolkit just this past week that addressed addresses that environment and something that, that developed its own programming language with called q q sharp uh, integrated into a visual basic so it's moving along there and then there were you know smaller startups that had been sort of underneath the underneath the radar there's Rigetti computing there's quantum circuits there's ion q uh, they don't get the play that IBM and Google and Intel and Microsoft, but they're working on very interesting technology as well. And they might be uh, one of those might be a dark horse as as these technologies actually become real, real quantum computing platforms that can be used. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm astonished. You know, we were first 
hearing about quantum computing in the 1990s, or at least that's when I was first exposed to it. And and when you looked at things like uh, the HPCS program out of DARPA, they referred to the, the future promise of quantum computing. HPCS was meant to be a short-term bridge to get us to where quantum was going to be in the middle of the last decade. And it just, it wasn't there. It didn't materialize. But then all of a sudden this year, things got a lot more real, a lot more quickly. And and I think we are going to start seeing actual applications on quantum computing uh, at at least the level of quantum equivalence for some selected applications. Uh, in the next year, I think 2018 is going to bring that about, the first applications where we see quantum equivalence. And uh, and that's going to be really something. We can say we were there when. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think 2018 is going to be sort of a breakaway year, uh, not not in a broad application sense, but in, a, in, in some applications that can use sort of these 50 qubit and plus uh, type systems uh, that that really can't be duplicated very easily on a conventional machine. Uh, all of a sudden, people are going to find the applications that fit into those uh, relatively small quantum computing uh, platforms. And yeah, I, I think 2018 is going to be quite an interesting year for this uh, technology. Now, there have been a lot of good stories in 2017, and I don't mean to slight all the other areas. You know, OmniPath versus InfiniBand is going to be really interesting. There's been a lot of development in storage, especially on the Flash NVDIM, NVMe side. We've seen things on, on nearline archiving. There's been great stuff on the end user side. And one I was looking at in particular was the petaflop machine at BASF and what that means for the future in chemical engineering. So, you know, the the world continues to march on, but in terms of those three big stories, you know, it's it's got to be AI, the the quantum computing and the and the processor wars being fully engaged and we're going to see a lot more of that in 2018. Yeah, I agree. That those those trends are all going to move forward and and maybe catch a a few new trends as well, I think, uh, in the next year. All right, Michael, well, thanks for another great podcast and another great year. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you, Addison. And happy holidays to all our listeners out there. Thanks for tuning in and happy 2018. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com. <laughs>